live from wherever you happen to be, it's the SNL Hall of Fame Podcast. And now, here's your host, curator of the hall, Jamie Dew. Oh, wow. Thank you so much, Doug. It is uh, great to be here hosting the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. If this is your first visit to the hall, welcome. And for goodness sake, wipe your feet at the door. This is a hallowed institution. The premise is simple. There are a lot of performers that have stood on the stage at Studio 8H. And there are a lot of writers who have been featured behind the scenes. There are several of these players that you would call all-stars that are absolutely key at their positions and have made a indelible mark on Saturday Night Live history. And that's really cool. Those are the people we are going to celebrate and elevate by electing a certain cohort of them to the SNL Hall of Fame. Here's how it's going to work. Each week, I am going to be joined by a guest or several guests who will bring to the table a nominee. And at the end of the season, when we have all our nominees, we will open the doors, open the uh, windows, we'll open every orifice we can open to allow you to vote, to exercise your franchise and vote. And if your favorite player ends up with more than 50, uh, appearing on more than 51% of the ballots, they will be elected into the Hall of Fame. If you have any questions about the nitty gritty, please send me an email, jamie at snlhof.com or reach out on Twitter at snlhof. We even have a Facebook group. And you can uh, sign up in there and play around as well. So there's lots of uh, interesting places to find us and what we're doing and how we're doing it, including the SNL HOF website, which you can find at snlhof.com. We've got everything you can imagine listed there, including uh, guest information, episode information, and whatnot. So uh, a valuable resource along with, uh, you know, all the other podcasts out there. We are really thrilled to be joining a robust SNL community at this point. Uh, I can't speak uh, highly enough of the quality content that is, you know, going out week over week. Uh, you should definitely check out uh, the SNL podcast directory on Apple.com. Uh, the, the Apple podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, there is a tremendous amount of information available. And uh, it's, it's a wonderful time to be an SNL fan. So there's that. I can tell you that this week's episode is uh, sort of different. There's only going to be one guest and one nominee on this episode because it's the guest, uh, or rather the nominee. The guest, Andrew Clark, is fantastic. Uh, 
He is um, a multi-hyphenate. He's a writer. He's an educator. He's a historian. All of comedy. And so I reached out to him to see if he would consider nominating really who should be nominated first and maybe placed in the hall first. And that is the uh, executive producer and creator of Saturday Night Live, Mr. Lorne Michaels. It's a fascinating discussion that I have with Mr. Clark, and I invite you to listen in on that interview now. There's no Lauren Michaels. There's no Saturday Night Live. So I think it all stems from there, you know? Yeah. We're done here. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. <laughs> Andrew, what, what's your history with Saturday Night Live? Well, it's interesting. I mean, like, it, it debuted when I was around 9 or 10, when I was old enough to stay up and watch it, I was watching it and um, was particularly influenced, say, by Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. When um, John Belushi sadly died, um, my friends and I had a toga party wake in his honor, and uh, for which I got in trouble. I forgot to take the safety pins out of the sheets in my house. And therefore, my parents caught me. But, uh, you know, we were we were really, really into um the saturday night live aesthetic and particularly those guys and then it just kept going and um if you're interested in comedy or a comedy fan you're always keeping an eye on saturday night live you may not you may not watch it all the time but you certainly keep an eye on it and now with people being able to record it watch it anytime i mean their audience is probably you know continuing to expand yeah i would say so i mean it seems that it really is um, people of all ages wa- watching at this point. So for more than 40 years, it's been a fixture of late night television. Yeah. And I also think like Lauren Michaels, you know, he's a sports fan. I mean, he's certainly a baseball fan. And so I think he really saw the show when he came back to it as a franchise in the same way that um, the coach of the team doesn't have the same players every year that Saturday Night Live was going to kind of rejuvenate itself every year or, 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 and in fact, probably turn over entirely every five years or so. And that has turned out to be the show's single greatest um, engine, I think. Uh, And he's been a very, very good judge of comedy talent. And he's had some really great people scouting for him too, right? It's, it's not a, I think he would tell you it's not just, Alon Lauren Michaels Enterprise, like it's a very big tent with lots of people working under underneath it. But you know, when you look at his ability to transcend the comedy that he started out doing as a younger man and sort of keep up, that's pretty remarkable. A lot of people don't do that. They can't really go generation after generation because they get a bit too hung up on understanding it. I remember interviewing um, Lauren Michaels in 95, I think it was, or 96, 
uh, for the first time. And he was just talking about some new cast members, among them Adam Sandler was at the time, I think David Spade, Chris Rock. And he said, you know, I'm getting a lot of heat in, in some respects because people are not getting these guys, especially the older executives and stuff at the network. But he's, And he said, you know, and I don't entirely get it, but I know it's funny. And I, that always kind of struck me, the ability to say, even though I may not completely get this, I still can know and sense that it's funny. And then that allows you to keep going and sort of where we are now, which is uh, their debut, I think it was in 75. So, you know, we're going to get pretty close to the 50th anniversary pretty soon. Yeah, this is season 46 right now. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah. So they've been doing it for a while. He's quite the quite the tastemaker. So going back to your initial statement, you know, there is no Saturday Night Live without Lauren Michaels. I think, you know, if you look through his history, you, you almost see a breadcrumb trail form. Was he destined to do a show like this? Well, you could argue maybe. I mean, if you look at his upbringing, you know, he's a, he's a Toronto kid, you know, he grows up going to CNE and doing all those sorts of things. Unfortunately, his father, I think passes away when he's around 14. Um, and a few years later, he starts dating Rosie Schuster, who's the daughter of uh, Frank Schuster, right? And so Frank, in some ways, becomes a bit of, um, of an extra parental figure or father figure. I'm not saying a, a replacement or anything like that but a kind of male role model that um, Lauren Michaels kind of grows up talking to about comedy and studying. And at the same time, you know, he's, he's, you know, enjoying all the sixties the counterculture. He goes through U of T um, you know, where he meets Hart Pomerantz. And so they start doing comedy and you've got Hart and Lauren and uh, you spend some time in England where he gets to know the pythons and he's going to spend time in Los Angeles doing uh, TV um, and all of that kind of stuff. So he's sort of got a hybrid of British humor, American humor, and that kind of weirdly fatalistic Canadian sensibility. Um, and I think the other thing is he had a great sense of how to bridge the different um, aspects that can go into commercial TV production. So he could be uh, uh, completely in sync with, uh, say, the not ready for primetime players, whose whole idea was they hated television, and also in sync with the suits on the top floor. I think Rockefeller Center is 34 floors, and his office, I think, at one time was on the 17th, which I always thought was a little symbolic, because it's like you're right in between. So he was able to keep the show going, you know. Shows like the Smothers Brothers eventually kind of imploded because they couldn't navigate that. Now, whether they should have, I'm not arguing that, but they were very counterculture. They were against Vietnam and pretty, pretty, you know, out there and strident about it. And eventually they were pulled off the, the air. I mean, Saturday Night Live has had its share of controversies. There was one recently, but it's sort of always able to navigate those. And I think a big part of that is Lauren Michaels. That's, that's really great knack. Um, and also that combination of British, American, and Canadian sensibilities, which nowadays I don't think is is as important because I don't think the British influence in Canada is anywhere near what it was, say, in the 60s or the 70s. But at that time, it was a big part of, you know, what what was happening in terms of culture in Canada. You know, you got 
you got stuff from England much sooner than anyone in the United States, generally speaking. Interesting. I, I never really put the third side to that uh, triumvirate uh, with the with the British piece. I knew he was a, a giant Pythons fan, but I, I didn't realize that he had spent time there. Oh, yeah. He was. He spent time living in Shepherd's Bush, and he would go and watch the Pythons and watch them, I think, filming the show. And when you see the first seasons of Saturday Night Live, you see, oh, there's animation, there's um, uh, Landshark, you know, um, things like that, that, that kind of ab- absurd. And even the idea of ending a sketch without ending a sketch. Uh, those are all things you could kind of see the pythons doing and, and then him kind of picking up on. I mean, the show is, is very original, but it, it is also um, an interesting example of the baby boomer generation, which is the first generation to grow up in front of the electronic babysitter as dave thomas called the television once when i was talking to him and so a lot of what they're doing is a reaction against television and it's kind of authority and power right so commercial parodies making fun of the news you know all of those sorts of things are are part of that and i also think doing political humor which lauren michaels was told was suicidal like they no one wants it don't do it he kind of stuck to his guns. We have a long history of political kind of humor in Canada and, and in Britain too. And there's a rich, rich history in America of political humor. But at the time, you didn't find much of it on network television. You had to look elsewhere. Uh, and he he sort of, um, I think, championed that. And again, so the, the show is somewhat of a tribute to live television, the golden age, all of that kind of stuff, howdy doody. And at the same time, it's a complete rejection of it. So it's a neat... Um, a neat hybrid, so to speak. Right. Yeah, uh, completely. And it's a hybrid that couldn't have come, you know, at a different time. Like, I, I really don't think like comedy was going through this, um, this disillusionment, this renaissance, like you had Lampoon doing biting satire and a lot of really cool things there. And then Lauren comes along and, you know, sort of from the pages of Lampoon and that uh, ethic, you know, creates SNL. He's got to go in the hall, right? Uh, I would say uh, he should win and he should be elected. That's kind of like saying, no, I can't make the, I'm going to make some religious analogy that's going to offend lots and lots of people. So I won't do that. But, um, but I would say that, you know, without Lauren Michaels, there is no Saturday Night Live. And, you know, I think that it's, you know, whenever you do something like this, there's always an element of, of winking or an asterisk. And by that, I mean, you can never say definitively who is the absolute, absolute, obviously, right? And in fact, we all have our favorite cast, right? And it tends to be the cast that you watch between age 14 and 17 or 14 and 16. You're old enough to stay up, but not really old enough to be allowed to go out. And so you're home watching Saturday Night Live. Now that's changed a little bit because people can watch it online and all sorts of other things. But I think people always have their favorite cast members, their favorite seasons. Um, I think the quality has generally always been pretty great. I mean, people always, I mean, they ran the headline Saturday Night Live or Saturday Night Dead, I think the, the, the year after it started. So they were already calling for its demise in like 1976. Wow. And, you know, they're still waiting. No, no. I mean, it wasn't, you know, some people hated it. And then, you know, the years where Lord Michaels wasn't there. They had talented cast members, but I just think that the people in charge didn't understand the show. I mean, you know, you had Eddie Murphy, who went on to become a star. You had Robin Duke. You had, 
you know, a lot of great people. And, um, you know, if you talk to them, like Robin teaches at Humber, she'll say, oh, yeah, when we were on the show, people, you know, they didn't like us, some of them. You know, we'd have people on the street saying, hey, you wrecked Saturday Night Live. And, you know, it's crazy, right? People take it way too personally. Um, I think the other thing that people have to remember is that comedy is not a sure thing. And by that, I mean, if Saturday Night Live never had a sketch that didn't work, then they'd never have a really great sketch. You, you, you kind of always have to wonder if you're not worried about going too far, you probably haven't gotten far enough. <laughs> and by that, I don't mean offending people just for the sake of it, which is kind of dull. But I mean, you know, when, it, when, in, when you're in that zone and you think you want to make a point, you go for it, being willing to suffer the consequences of it. And I think that that's an important element of the show. And then again, if you look at the head writers, people are like Jim Downey. I mean, he, he and Norm MacDonald were fired from the show for doing those O.J. Simpsons bits. And, and I, I remember we had Jim come up to Humber and him sort of saying, yeah, we just, we just couldn't stop. And you know they kept waiting for Lauren to really lower the boom, but he just kind of let them go. And then eventually they, they got fired and that was it, you know, but he sort of said it was like a compulsion. Like they knew they should stop, but they couldn't stop. It was just too, too big of a thing. Anyway, um, th- those kinds of stories I think are why people in some respects really love the show. And probably to a degree that if you see people, there are a lot of people who have animosity towards the show. I think it just shows it's relevant. If people, if everybody loves you and nobody hates you, you're probably doing something wrong as well. That's fair. How, how important do you think it it is that he got to not only birth the show, but then come back and, you know, um, have a second run? I think it was critical. I think the show would have gone under if he hadn't. I think that the other thing that happened with him when I've interviewed him is he sort of talked about going through a period where he felt like what he was doing wasn't, I don't know how to put the right word, credible enough. You know, that if you were if you were a serious fill-in-the-blank, then you would be doing feature films or you would be doing X, Y, or Z. And so the idea of doing sketch comedy and this kind of stuff you know, it's the proverbial not being able to sit at the grown-ups table. And I think, as he described it to me, there was a process of him going, you know, no, wait a minute. This is actually what I am really enjoyed doing, what I'm good at, and it's got a lot of value. And so I think that that's been instrumental in him staying with the show as long as he has, I think. Because it's a long, it's a, not an easy process, and I'm sure it's not perfect. I've never had the, the chance, obviously, to work on the show. But having observed it and interviewed a lot of people over the years, it's not an, it's not an easy environment. But um, it produces some really great stuff. And, and if you look at the way it's molded the American, Canadian, and I would say in a lot of respects, the global sense of humor, it's, it's astounding. There really isn't um, as many... Um, comedy institutions that have done that uh you know sctv took a different approach they didn't become a franchise you know they they were sctv you know um martin short joined robin duke joined harold ramus left but but basically that was it that cohort and then it's done um and they went on to do all sorts of other really great stuff so you know they didn't they they had an enormous impact i mean it, it cannot be overstated but over time, I think Saturday Night Live has had the larger one because of 
the sheer volume of the talent that is. Yeah. When you, when you look at that list of people who have, you know, been in and out of that machine, it's, it's astounding. You mentioned earlier about the sport sports franchise, you know, sort of analogy. And I wonder then that makes Lauren Michaels, you know, sort of the, the owner or the GM assembling the, the, the people to, I guess, um, disseminate the taste making among many different people. Um, how has he managed to do that all these years? Well, I think that, you know, it's funny when I've, again, I know when I've interviewed him, he's always left me with something that I remembered. I remember him saying, you can ask for anything in the world except to be appreciated. Um, and he also said, never do business with someone you wouldn't have lunch with, uh, <laughs> stuff like that, which, which I've often remembered over time. But, uh, you know, I think he hires the people he really believes in and then he trusts them. And he also has, I, I am pretty sure he still has the final say. So it's still about, did you make Lauren laugh? Um, and then you have a really good chance of it getting on the show. Um, I think one of the things that's kind of neat about Saturday Night Live is that, the, like, say, MacGruber, which is probably my favorite film uh, of all time, uh, was this crazy sketch that nobody really wanted to put on and, and something got cut. So it finally got a shot. So a, a show like Saturday night live is a place where an idea like that can sort of keep going around the track or the conveyor belt until maybe the time is right where other shows that might not happen. Um, so that's, I think that's how he does it. He trusts his instincts. He's smart and he, and he also has final say. And I think he has a pretty good, you know, some of the, the directions he's given people, um, I, I think are really telling, like telling people, you don't, don't always try so hard, for instance, in comedy. And just kind of interesting little uh, bits and pieces that, that you hear the people who've gone through there um, citing as they move forward. And, and it's interesting. You, you should, they should have a book of like Lornisms or something <laughs> to put it out. That'd be great. Well, maybe we'll sell it in the uh, SNL Hall of Fame gift shop. Who knows? Um, to 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 wrap it all up, I mean, you've really done a great job of outlining, you know, how he got here and, you know, what he's managed to create and the fact that it wouldn't be there were it not for him. So I just wonder if there's any sort of tags that you want to add on to your argument for why Lauren Michaels belongs in the SNL hall of fame. Well, I think he's also funny. I mean, I, I mean, he might, he might beg to differ, but I think he did a good job in heart and Lauren. I know that I think he gets a little, maybe a little bit, you know, or cringy when he sees that stuff. But, um, you know, I think he, he has a very dry sense of humor. He's a pretty funny guy. And I think that's the other thing. I mean, um, just again, I'm, this isn't necessarily from the interviews I had, because normally when you're sitting down with someone, like, you know, you're having a fairly serious interview. But, um, the, the you know, Lauren, uh, Will Forte talking about filming the scene in MacGruber where he's naked humping the air. And um, Lauren Michaels, like, kind of having him do it over and over because he was laughing so hard. So, <laughs> so I guess what I, what I would say is there's the lesson there for people who are starting out in comedy is if you can keep that, ch I'll call it childlike <laughs> <laughs> delight in laughing that'll probably help your career a lot like to to have been around that long and to have seen so much comedy and still get a kick out of something so ridiculous i think is uh it just shows an openness 
to comedy, which I think is pretty great. I think some people have misunderstood maybe Lauren Michaels a little because he is Canadian and I don't like to generalize too much, uh, but maybe Canadians, at least back in the sixties and seventies, weren't quite as brash perhaps. So people would misunderstand a measured kind of demeanor or reply as being a little bit kind of cool. Uh, when in fact, it's just kind of a Canadian affectation, right? So people think you're really nice and polite. And really what you're doing is storing up all your bile and venom and getting ready to unleash it later, <laughs> which is a very Canadian trait, right? Yes. And um, I think that, that that for all of those things, um, you know, he's been integral. He's He's a tricky one to nail down because he's not a comedian. You can't say, okay, Mike Myers. Okay, he's a genius, and his Peter Sellers is an obvious antecedent, right? Like, you can see it. Um, Lauren Michaels, it's not quite as easy because he's an impresario and, and a very influential producer. And, um, you know, he had, like, again, I remember the kids in the hall talking, I think it was with Kevin or Bruce. Um, you know, they wanted, when they did Brain Caddy, they had a, a great director do it, and one that they'd work with a lot. But um, Lauren had really suggested George Roy Hill, who had done, you know, The Sting, Butch Cassidy, and who had a real knack for capturing kind of male rebellious energy. And you kind of wonder, oh, I wonder. It doesn't mean that that director did a bad job. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying under that tutelage, how would the movie have appeared? It's an interesting, and you know, so it's that kind of ability I guess almost like a chemist to say, what are what are the ingredients I have, if you will? You can call it a chef, whatever you like. What are the chemicals I have? And how do I put these together in the right proportions at the right time to create something really special? He has repeatedly been able to do that. And uh, that is, there are not a lot of folks out there who can claim that. So that's why I would say he should, he, he it is the Lauren Michaels Saturday Night Live Hall of Fame. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Andrew. Uh, where can people um, find out more about you? Uh, well, if they're if they do want to, then there's perhaps something a little wrong. But uh, yeah, I have a website, andrewclark.ca, and I have a regular column in the Globe and Mail every every week about driving. I write a humor column about driving. Uh, called the Road Sage, and um, I'm the coordinator of the comedy writing performance program at Humber College. So we have we're always it's a great job because I get to see lots of comedians develop and people like um, uh, Vance Banzo, Tim Blair, who are on Tall Boys, and there's a lot of people out there from Humber doing really great stuff. Um, so it's it's a fun fun gig. So if if you if you're deluded enough to want to be in comedy and you come to Humber, then you'll you'll definitely get to know way more about me than you would ever have hoped or dreamed. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Thanks for taking some time this afternoon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Been fun. Been Thank, fun. Thanks a lot. Wasn't that great? Yeah. That was Andrew Clark making his case for adding Lorne Michaels to the ballot. And that is now the case. Lorne Michaels is officially on the ballot for the first class of the SNL Hall of Fame. 
I went to the Humber School of Comedy. It was a long time ago, so all the jokes we wrote were in black and white. Oh, boy. I have to live with me. So, there's that. Next week, we will be back with two new guests nominating two new candidates to the ballot of the SNL Hall of Fame. And from there, you'll just have to wait and see how the season unfurls and how and who will make it to the SNL Hall of Fame. If you want to discuss this, again, I am on Twitter. I am on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I get around. I'm social. So there's that. That's what I've got for you. And I hope you enjoyed yourself and your visit to the hall. Please turn out the lights behind you. The Saturday Night Live Hall of Fame is now closed. Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. You can find everything you need to know about the show at snlhof.com. Don't forget to subscribe, share, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. This is Doug Denant saying, this is Doug Denant saying, see you next month in the hall. Podcasts and such.